You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Korean Baby Cuddy. He is the Chief Evangelical Officer at 40 Parables. Korean, thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about 40 Parables and what you do to help ministries um, kind of grow with their impact? Absolutely. Well, on our website, by definition, it says that 40 Parables is a strategic MarTech firm that helps ministries share their stories better. By MarTech, we mean both marketing and also MarTeching, because without MarTeching these days, we can be really good marketers. Um, By that, I mean that we help ministries with their marketing. We also help them with their technology. And we kind of find a way to bring this both together in a manner that's very relevant for 2020, 2021, and this decade. Um, We began in 2015. We were like this typical digital marketing agency that was completely focused only for ministries. Um, So in the last six years, we've we've served about 40, 15 ministries. And that's the only kind of, that's the only tribe of Levi that we've actually uh, worked with in five, six years. But at that point, we were helping them do every other digital marketing campaign. We ran web, we ran ad campaigns, we did email automation and websites. And then we realized that we're actually helping them um, invite people to come to the party at their homes. And so we do all this stuff and then people would come. But then when they looked at all the homes on the street, they all looked the same. There was nothing differentiating this particular house. They didn't even know which house the party was at. So then we realized we need to help them a little more with their branding. So we then went to work again. We helped them with their branding specifically. And then we went back to shouting from the rooftops. We called these guys, come again, come for the party. So this time they came, they knew which house the party is at. But when they got in, they realized the foundations were a little bit shaky. So we then came down a second time. We started working on the foundations. And then we started building some foundational marketing strategies so the ministries can actually have greater impact with what they're doing. We believe Jesus was very clear about this because he's got a parable that talks only about foundations, firm foundations and whatnot. But he didn't spend so much time about shouting from the rooftops or the branding part. So we actually help ministries think through their foundational marketing strategies um, that need to be in place before they can go paint the town red. Mm. So those two terms, um, marketing and marteching, that kind of piqued my interest. Can you kind of describe how you differentiate between the two? Sure. So Jesus Christ was marketing way back um, and from 33 AD onwards, he had a message, um, he had a gospel, he wanted to, he had a concept of the new kingdom that he wanted people to understand. There was more, no martech happening in, in those days. Um, at best, I think the best martech he used was he sat on a boat and he kind of hunkered down and the voice um, echoed to a greater number of people because he used some techniques in physics to reach a larger number of people with his voice. But today, we have a lot of options um, to engage people to know where they are, uh, what they'd like to consume, how they want to be engaged best. And so using different kinds of technology, we feel really helps them understand, be understood, 
um, and also know exactly what the ministry is for. Often we call this a listening campaign. We want to really stop speaking a lot more and start listening a lot, lot more, figure out where these guys are, what do they want. They have so many options today, and yet if they choose to invest their time, their interest, and their energy with us, we want to use different uh, technology possible, um, not just, I don't mean the social media, but figuring out where they're at. Like Peter Drucker's first question always is, who is the customer and what does they value? Like if we can figure out who this customer is and what they value, um, that would be a big win. So we use different tools and technologies to help ministries understand who are we talking about? Who are we talking to? Um, how do we hear the voice of our sheep better? And so that's why we refer to it as Mark Teching. And can you share maybe a little bit of experience or a little bit about your experience and how you um, landed kind of working in the ministry spec- sector specifically? Sure. Well, similar to the disciples, I'm one of these guys who has no place here. Um, I'm an immigrant. I came to the U.S. in 2010. Um, I was uh, doing my MBA in Boston in 2011. And in between the two years um, of my two-year program, I'm supposed to do this internship. And I have to do an internship that reflects the kind of education I'm getting in school. So I can't be flipping burgers for three months in the summer. I have to do a marketing internship with an organization. And so when I came, I wanted to, I I had a mobility background, uh, mobile and telecom. Um, And so I wanted to pursue the direction, but somehow the Lord, I felt was tugging at my heart to say, come and work in the ministry world. And I didn't even know what the kingdom is. Um, I had never been here before 2010. um, And I was trying to figure out who are these ministries to work with. So um, I was in Chicago for a couple of years before I moved to Boston. So as soon as I thought, maybe the Lord is telling me to go work with some church, I tried to reach out to many ministries and many churches. Um, in the course of that summer, so from April, we start reaching out to folks and say, I'd like to intern with you guys. That goes for two, three months. The internship typically runs from about June, July, August, and then school starts back again in September. So around end of April, you're supposed to let the school know that you found this uh, group who you're going to intern with. And so I wanted to work in the secular space. I felt God was calling me for something different. I thought I'll trust him. I won't take any of these secular internship interviews. I won't. I actually went for one and I felt God saying, you don't need to go this way. This is not the way I'm calling you to go. And so I um, decided this is it. I'm going to try and pursue this new direction with the ministry world. And so I sent out these almost a hundred one pagers to ministries. I told them, um, I see this on your website. I think this is a problem you're trying to solve. I'm an MBA marketing grad. I'd like to solve this problem or help you solve the problem over the summer. I happen to need an internship that spans three months. I'd love to come and help. Um, would you want to take me up on this offer? And I wrote to almost to almost 100 different ministries, um, and 93 of them did not respond. Wow. Um, about seven responded, and I really hold these guys in high esteem because 93 did not respond. Seven responded and told me, we agree with everything you're saying. We just don't know what to do with an MBA grad. And I'm like, hire me. And there was still no response. So I tried a lot. Um, I'm a shameless, persistent, widow, parable kind of person. So I kept plugging away. And finally, there's this group called Leadership Network in Dallas. Um, they're now, I think, uh, along with Exponential. Um, and so I, well, the persistent widow in me was reaching out again and again. Finally, the guy said, just to get you off my back, I'll let you come and attend one of these hub sessions. I was like, that's all I need. Just need permission from you to come and see you guys. And so I went, there was a great event. Again, nothing happened for me, uh, but I really got to understand what the ministry world was kind of looking like. 
Um, just as I was walking, walking out of the three-day thing, um, I met someone who knew someone. And in a, in a couple of days, that guy gave me a call and said, hey, I thought you said something about mobility. Um, do you know what Kindred is? And I'm like, I have no idea who Kindred is. Do you know what One Hope is? I said, no, no I don't know. And he gave me like this 30-second heads up. And I um, said, sure, this sounds great. He said, they're looking for something, someone to help them with mobility and marketing. And um, I said, sure. He said, do you have a resume? And I said, I'll quickly put one together for you. And so I, this guy calls me and I give him the resume. And in seven minutes, this, uh, this person from Kindred who was leading the team there, he calls me and says, and he starts like this. He says, hey, um, I read everything in the resume. I just got it five minutes ago. Um, I love what I'm reading. Are you willing to start with us on Monday? And after like this barren drought of not hearing from 93 ministries, I'm like, you, <laughs> like I'm ready to come today. You don't even have to ask so much. <laughs> uh, and so I went uh, to work with this um, text giving solution called Kindred when they were in their infant stage. Um, they did really well. I say it's because I left. Like the minute I leave, things, good things happen. Um, and so I, I mean, after the summer, I left uh, Kindred. But One Hope, the, the founding entity that owned Kindred, they loved me, so they gave me a chance to work with them for the longer term. So I ha- ended up working with One Hope, a ministry in Florida, learned a ton from them, still very indebted to them. They gave me a chance to start this agency uh, in 2015. And it's been, that's, that's how I got into the space. I should not have been in the space, but God had better ideas. That's really cool. So prior to our online conversation, we discuss a couple topics and this next one kind of piqued my interest. Uh, what does marketing really mean in the ministry world? Sure. Well, this is again, my personal opinion. Um, I have a very critical view about marketing. Uh, my views about ministries may also be quite critical, but I must say I respect the people who are in the ministry world because I think this is one of the hardest things to do on planet Earth. Um, so even the real world, for that matter, in my opinion, most people do not know what marketing actually entails in, it, in, in its entirety. Many think it's sales. Um, in some of these webinars or uh, speaker sessions, I ask people to think about the salt brand that they brought from the grocery store. And I ask them, did your the, the salt brand? And I ask them, which brand do you have? Most of them say Mort- Morton or something of that sort. They say, or they say great value from Walmart. Or, I ask them, did this particular salt brand did market to you or did it sell to you? Um, why do you end up buying the same brand over and over again? Um, and then I ask people to think about whether they, they were, the brand was selling or marketing. And most people struggle with that answer. And in my opinion, um, again, this can sound a little bit hurtful um, because I want to be honest, but we as, as the ministry world, I feel we're doing very little marketing compared to the potential that we have to really help ourselves and the church world engage people at large. There are a few guys who are doing this well, but I'd say across the board, we aren't really doing, in my opinion, what we should be doing. A potential problem I've seen over the, over the years is that the word marketing itself sounds alien, sometimes devilish, or just salesy in the ministry world. Many, many ministries I know, they do not have a marketing vice president or marketing director position. Um, I also know folks who don't want to be known for doing church marketing. But in my personal opinion, Jesus marketed an unknown concept of this new kingdom Day in and day out, not just on the streets, uh, by the river, by the lake, by the town square. He wasn't actually selling a ticket to them to go to heaven. He was just talking about it. The, the kingdom of God is like this uh, field or it's like the pearl or it's like this dragnet. He's talking about it. 
And I feel we're also called to spread the good news. We're not actually called to stamp their ticket and send them to heaven. We're just called to pronounce the gospel unto their lives. And so if anything, I feel what we're actually called to do is to market this Messiah's message. And I feel that we should be doing a lot, lot more marketing. Um, and I think we have a great, I mean, this pandemic season, it's, it's been a destructive one for America, the rest of the world. But I hope it's, it's a great challenge for ourselves to evaluate how we've been marketing. Every, most of the things that we thought about ourselves has been completely upturned um, over and out. Um, and I hope this new season that's the post-pandemic world, we actually get to think about marketing seriously. So how would, how would you, what are, what's an example of uh, a sales act that a ministry might pursue and a marketing act that a ministry might pursue? Sure. So let me go back to as an example for what might be marketing and sales. And I don't want to single out good examples because some guys will be like, why didn't he talk about this more obvious example? Um, I first off think we're not talking enough about marketing in the ministry world. There are far few conferences, there are far few sessions, far few podcasts. I'm thrilled you are talking about this. Um, if When people ask me for a difference, I keep telling them that in my personal opinion, um, if our target market members if they aren't drawn to and excited to work with us, it could be because we have not marketed it enough. I feel one of the differences is that sales tends to pursue others while marketing lets them pursue themselves. Sales gets the cash register ringing, but marketing has a greater chance of moving people from the zero brand awareness to zealous brand advocacy. So when we tell them, hey, come for our conference, pay 40 bucks, pay $400, um, sign up, we're ask- actually telling them to, we're inviting them to a sale. We're inviting them to part their dollars, which, again, I want to respect ministries because, it, in my opinion, it's one of the hardest things to do on planet Earth. It's to make a man part with his money. Even Jesus said so when he talked about choosing between money and God. Right? He, he, this is really a big deal. But I feel if you take the example of Mary and Martha and Jesus, when he comes over, the thing that Mary loves to do is she wants to sit at Jesus' feet and she wants to hear him talk. She's not actually, again, punching the ticket to go to heaven. She's not trying to get to the other side yet. She just loves to hear him talk. She just loves to be with him. And I feel if brands were, if we would long, just think of, think of the last time you can figure out a ministry brand that you would just love to be with, a brand you would just love to hear day in and day out. Not buying their conference ticket. You're not buying their books. Um, you're not going to the retreat activity. You just want to be with them. You just want to hear them. You love the message so much that you love what they're talking about. You love what they're pointing to. And you want to be one with this messenger on the other side. You want to be with Joshua and Caleb and Canaan. Like that's what real marketing would mean. We just long to be with them. Um, and I feel we're, we get so much, so little of that compared to here's what you can do. Here's how you punch the ticket. Here's how you get to the other side um, for a small cost. And I feel that's more of sales. Hmm. And again, I have full respect for salespeople. I was one myself. I feel that every single marketer must spend the first couple of years in sales because I, otherwise, when you sit at a, at a desk job doing marketing, you will never understand what it means to be the guy who's going into and at the end of the world and trying to make a man part with his money. But I just think that that's the marketing department needs a little bit more visibility than what it's getting now. Yeah. So, so you would argue that we should be pursuing ministries should be pursuing and attempting to build almost a characteristic, a character or a personality around the brand, building a brand that people can get excited about and attach themselves to and find things that they share 
beliefs with, um, and that is going to be a more successful way of building excitement and engagement around your ministry brand than just simply saying, Hey, here's our next event. Here's our next give giving opportunity. Would you come be a part of what we're doing? You said it, not me. You did. There's actually a marketer called Chris Walker. In my opinion, he's one of the best marketers um, around. He posts every day on LinkedIn. I, I mean, if you want to read the Bible and do something else in the morning, check out Chris Walker's uh, podcast. I want to hear from him daily. If you add a T to his name, Chris Pickens Christ. They're very similar in my opinion. Um, they both talk every single day. They actually talk about the same thing day in and day out. Um, every day, like they both talking about one person talks about the kingdom of God. One person talks about this new kingdom of marketing that we've not seen. Similar to what I'm trying to talk about. Very few advocates for what this kingdom of marketing that we we thought we were in, but actually was something else. And I think that um, if if we can get that message again and again, we get drawn to what they're talking about. I, I now understand why Mary was just fascinated by Christ. She loved what he's talking about. She wanted that so badly that at the end of it, whatever Jesus Christ, in quote, sells to Mary, she will buy. She buys what she believes in. And if you remember what Simon Sinek says, we buy with from people who believe in what we believe in. And so if we want to get them to connect at the believing point, I think like you talked about, we need to get them to think about a brand, a cause, um, something much bigger than ourselves. And instead of just telling them, come for the next event, sign mm-hmm. up for this next webinar, give us your email address. And I, I know this to be true because I have a daily blog myself. It's not as big as Chris Walker and his blog. Um, in fact, I ended, I ended up unintentionally using it in a different manner because most people use a blog to try and get new visitors or acquire new names uh, to their database. That was also one of the reasons why I began the blog. But over time, I realized that... Uh, so my blog is like a one-minute blog. You're in the blog every morning. It's there 261 days a year. Every weekday, it's there. And you're out of the blog in extract exactly 60 seconds. It's called Marketing Mana. I'm not plugging it here. But the learning I had from it is that... Um, in fact, I have very few followers. It's, I've got a three-digit number of followers, um, not like thousands of people who are reading it. But the, I have in the three-digit number, I have a faithful few who read it every single day. And I know this because they actually send me emails. They send me questions. They send me encouraging stuff. They send me screenshots and texts. And about 70, we did the math recently, 75% of the ministries that choose to work with us, they actually come, they check out. They, I mean, we probably do a Calorie uh, session. At the end of the Calorie, it'll point them to the latest blog of the day. They'll read it. They read it a couple of times and they decide to sign up. I spend two, three months talking to them and they see the blog almost once a week at least, maybe twice a week. In the course of two to three months, they tell me when my talk is, hey, I like your blog today. And so this keeps going on. I actually end up using the blog to uh, retain interest of people who already came to the system than to use it for the first time. And this is something that's a different kind of marketing that's not normally used. Um, and so I feel that when we are pointing to something else, a different cause, um, slightly, slightly what contrary to what we've heard, similar to Jesus Christ, he came with a completely different message. And in fact, it got the others a little worked up because that was not the kind of um, gospel the others were talking about. That was not the kind of gospel when people were hoping to hear. And so I feel that when we have a brand, when we have a concept and we're willing to patiently bide our time and help people think differently, listen differently, feel differently, uh, we're starting to give them a chance for their for them to invest their time, their interest, their mind space, their allegiance to with us way before they give us dollars and shift their wallets to our side. And I feel we you need more branded 
concepts and, and content that can that we are willing to invest over time, like the river which erodes a rock over time. Today we're mostly scared to do that. Like Warren Buffett says, he wants to become rich very slow, and he's very few takers for it. So I, I would think that's a different kind of marketing that we need to be trying. Yeah, and essentially you're you're providing value over a long period of time at a consistent rate without any ask, right? You're, you're saying here's, here's value, value, value over and over and over again on repeat without ever saying, would you come buy my thing that I'm selling? Well, I, I think the different, some of the differences between marketing and sales are, Hey, marketing starts with the prospect and sales starts with the product. So we we've learned what, what the definition of what you just said, like provide immense value up front, try and monetize it later. And I think if we really care about the people that we're working with, we would really make sure that we offer so much value that we realize that the real transaction and the real currency being transacted is trust. Um, thought leadership is there, but trust matters far more than that. The fact that we're willing to understand what they are struggling with, what help they need, how can we create extra content and help them with where they are, be patient about it, make sure that we are actually talking to the guys who need us more than we need them. Like often with sales, our goal is who can get us money to move, keep move, keep the lights on. But marketing's intent should be how do we find guys who really love with us um, as we provide this value, who in fact love us more than we love them, right? We seek them. And so if we can, we definitely give value, but more importantly, we understand why we're doing this. We, who are we trying to serve? And do we really care about them enough to engage them, be patient with them? And if we do that, I'm telling you, like you just check out Chris Walker's blog any day on LinkedIn. I mean, it's not even a blog, it's a post, every day he'll post. A bunch of us, we follow, we listen, we agree with him, and we wish more people would say the same. Uh, but sadly, there aren't, I mean, fortunately for him, sadly for us, there aren't enough people who say that. And so mm -hmm. I feel we definitely need to give value, but we also need to understand, spend time, uh, like I talk about this listening campaign, we need to listen to the voice of the sheep that we're trying to serve. Um, often we may be slightly guilty of trying to, cover all of them with one brush stroke and they're all very different people and um like jesus said the, the sheep know my voice and i feel the the shepherd knows the sheep's voice too um, that's why they have a relationship and i i, I want to encourage an egg on to make sure we know the sheep's voice as we're trying to serve them and be a model for them as they follow christ mm, that's so good so what are some of the areas that you see ministries struggling the most uh and like consistently and how would you encourage ministry leaders who might be listening today and, and might be in dealing with some of those struggles and challenges of, of marketing and, and building brand around their, their organizations. So firstly, this is a pandemic um, season that's upon us that we've not thought of thought, thought will happen in a hundred years. So ministries in my opinion are, are probably struggling with multiple factors there may be one or two big issues, but the pandemic may have exacerbated all of that, accentuated the problems it's at being thrown at them. So it's really hard. Even so, the way big big ministries deal with it is kind of different from the way small ministries deal with it. I remember particularly this not more than a year ago. I think closer to April of last year. In one week, um, I happened to be on. I happened to be invited for six calls with six decently sized ministries, and they invited a few marketers like me. I ended up going to four of them. And I went to these, and they all happened to be the same week somehow. This was right after Easter. And all these ministries are thinking, what do we do afresh now? How do we handle? And at that time, the pandemic was just getting started. The 
I think the first set of deaths were happening in the US in our March or so. So we had a month of people dying of the pandemic and we don't know where this is going. And ministries are, I mean, they're right to be cautious and concerned. And donors are also thinking a little bit about what this next season looks upon them. Some of the ministries we talked to, they're saying we want to just pause on everything because we don't know where this is going. Just completely. This is a different different situation that we've never been in. And then point I was there and for four one-hour conversations with ministries in six days, I finally decided not to go to the last two because the, the pattern was pretty obvious. The reason I chose not to go is that we ended up deciding, in, I mean, each ministry, we had a one-hour session, we talked about what might be the next best steps. We ended up deciding on things that, in my opinion, these ministries should have done a decade ago with or without a pandemic. And so I feel that we, this is a great chance for us. We, we, the pandemic did catch us a little bit um, unprepared. Um, like churches should have been streaming way before. Ministry should have been engaging a lot more on social media and even making sure our web presence is stronger. We should have been prepared for a digital world. Uh, but thankfully, the pandemic is giving us a chance now to reset. And so I know there are many struggles ministries will have. Um, I, there's only one area that I know a little bit to serve them, uh, which is in marketing. And so I think in this marketing season, I think there's a great wake-up call. If we don't take advantage of this opportunity, the Lord may have to throw a much bigger brick at us to bring us back. Um, in marketing, like I mentioned, like at least if you can think through, um, think about our people, think about what they want, think about how do we serve them and who we're even competing against. We're competing against the likes of Netflix and Uber and really engaging brands. Coca-Cola, such an engaging brand. It's in more countries than the UN is in. Um, it, it's, um, ideally, we need to be in more countries than, the, than Coke is in um, with, the, with the gospel because the Lord is here for every single, every nation, every tribe. So I feel if we can figure out, come back a little to the basics of marketing, think through who we're trying to serve, how can we really be relevant, how can we, what, what, what can we commit to changing, knowing fully well there's a long process, we'll need some expertise, we'll need some commitment to seeing this, things through. Um, I think there is no, just like we said, there is no good time to start saving for retirement, there is no good time to start doing marketing right. I think if I could ask one thing, I'd say start today. Hmm. Yeah, this last year plus, really kind of forced the church to take digital seriously. A lot of ministries were doing decently well at it, but for the most part, the ministry sector has just struggled in digital. And so um, is that what you see? Do you see most of your ministry partners and clients functioning well or um, and, and, and interacting in digital properly or ministries just online and and maybe how would you define the difference between online and digital sure that's a that's a good one um so before the pandemic there were ministries that were they just didn't feel the need to go digital and i i think i saw an ad on link somewhere i can't remember where uh, this ministry came out with an ebook and said hey we're going digital and they've got an ebook seven steps to doing something and i wanted to say just because we i mean it's great that we're doing an ebook don't get me wrong um, but the world was doing ebooks 10 years ago. And I think, like I said, we need to understand who we're serving and what it means to be relevant to them. Again, going back to Peter Drucker's two questions, um, confession, I'm a Drucker driven neuromarketer. So Drucker says, who's a customer and what do they value in this age when we have Netflix giving Netflix redefines what experience and engagement looks like at that time, rolling out an ebook is in my opinion, just being online. Uh, this definition is not technically correct. Um, I am a software engineer by education, so I know that what I'm saying is not right. But I feel a difference, a simple way to understand online and, dig- and digital might be 
that when we are plugged to the internet, we are online. When we're plugged to other people who are plugged to the internet, then we're digital, digital for them, digital in their lives. Mm. And so it's not just enough to be on the web. It's not just enough to, hey, here's an ebook. I don't know what you're going to do with it. I know you might have downloaded. I have your email address. And then till I message you further, that's all I know about you. That's just being online. Uh, but, but, but the competitors, I mean, not just in the church space, the brands that hold our people's attention, uh, capture their interest, can keep them at awe. Those guys are not just selling ebooks. They're really trying to understand them better, understand the behavior. What do you do? How do you scroll? How do you click? What interests you? When do you want to hear from us? What more can I talk to you about? Um, like a good challenge for you version would be, we, we're all reading the Bible daily. Um, I mean, not that I've spoken to anyone at version, but I feel version's great potential here. I mean, they're the, I, mean, I say version because they're probably the leaders in innovation in, ministry, in the ministry world. And I feel that we at version, right, there would be so many more options in this post-pandemic world. They can get us to actually spend more time on the app itself. And not just by themes, like um, there may be many ways to reading the Bible, but um, but there may be many ways to to connect with God. Maybe it's through other people. Maybe it's through different things. So the experience of how we think about a, a user's journey from start to finish, I think that's a good challenge for us to review in this post-pandemic world. Um, a good example is, are we as captivating? Not not with the message. We, we have to have the greatest message of all time because our message is definitely stronger than what Netflix can offer. So we already have an advantage there. The only question is, are we delivering it in the right model, in the right format? Is that competing with other brands? Is that competing with other, not necessarily competing with other churches, but competing with their interest in, in the most appropriate, the most enticing manner? Are we being really relevant for them? Do they want to listen to us like Mary wanted to be at Jesus' feet? So would you would you recommend, so I think it, it can be sometimes a dangerous place for ministries, especially small to medium-sized ministries that are strapped with budget, tight budgets, to to say, go and watch how Netflix or Nike or these big brands that are engaging well with their audiences in digital, go and watch and, and kind of repeat what they're doing. Or would you recommend that ministries figure out how to be innovative and, um, and maybe do things a little bit differently because look, if we're going to compete with those bigger brands, like it, it, when it comes down to it, there's just significant investment that's required to, to be able to be successful at that. So like, how does a small medium sized sure, ministry sure. deal with something like that where we're competing against some of the biggest corporate, I mean, or corporations that, are far larger than governments have been in historically. So how do we deal with that? Sure. So first off, very legit question, very valid concern for the ministries. Uh, By no, in no means or way am I trying to get a worldly practice to come to seep into the ministry world. I'm purely Mm -hmm. talking about, I mean, the need for people to be engaged exists regardless of whether a secular brand engages them or not. We are people, we are drawn, we are, longing to think of newer concepts. We're longing to be engaged. We want to be heard. We hope to be heard. We long to be loved. That's all there from day one, from Adam's time. The question is, are we doing it as best as we can? And the question for small ministries might be, keeping the scale aside, forget forget the fact that we're even online. If we didn't have the internet, if we're offline, let's use offline methodologies. Are we still talking to people and understanding what their needs are? Forget even sending an email. 
are we when we're getting them in our churches on Sundays 52 or 40 to 52 times a year when we're talking to them as part of our ministry maybe three to four times a year are we really understanding who they are are we asking the right questions are we figuring out how we can be more relevant in their lives it might be with just 100 people that you can really hone this in and that might help you get 100 really faithful followers which in my opinion by followers i mean people who are committed to your cause, who are ready to commit action, energy, intensity. They're going to spread the word of your ministry. They're going to actually make sure that people, like zealous brand advocacy from zero brand awareness. Those guys with a hundred, like we saw what God can do with Gideon's few soldiers. So can we get a few hundred guys to help figure out what this model looks like? Um, as we in, in, in the SaaS world and with digital marketing, the first goal, goal of most investors and questions are, how do you prove the model right? Can you get this done with a pilot with 5, 10, 15, 500 people? Can we get that done right? If we can get that done right, then the only question is how do we scale it? Which is where I feel the bigger, uh, the big budget behind big ministries comes into play. But I wonder if we're actually getting this, this model right in the first place. Um, I don't think the, the problem only is one of investment and resources. I think like um, Bob Hoskins from One Hope, where I work, I'm always encouraged by his uh, point is where there is vision, God gives provision. And I'm not sure that we, I mean, if that's true, and I believe it is true, um, unless we're doing something drastically away from God's will, I think we may not have the right kind of vision. We know the destination, but Mm -hmm. not the vision to see us through to that destination, which makes it harder for us to have a very clear mission and a goal to understand the unit level economics right. Because I think if we get that right, then scaling is only a matter of figuring out how to pour more gas in the tank. Uh, the question is, do we have the right vehicle, the right bus, the right seats? And are we on the right road to the right destination? Uh, Praxis has, a th- I think they're called Praxis Labs, has a, a book called, um, spacing on the title of the book, but basically from concept to scale and this idea that maybe it, it can be a distraction to try to go and reach a gigantic audience if we haven't proven the concept of our idea and so let's let's get our concept right let's get the idea right let's get the strategy right prove it and then go and scale once we've done that so prove it with 100 people or 50 people make sure that this is going to be successful before we try to scale it because if you scale something that's not going to be effective or not going to work you run into real big problems down the road Actually, we insist on that in our daily lives. Sometimes when it comes to going online, sometimes we tend to not enforce it so much. For example, when we buy a house, um, we don't get a bunch of masons to come together, cobble a few rooms together and say, all right, put a house together. We insist that we see an architect who gives us a blueprint. The house looks good. We want the overall strategy. We want to make sure the house is good to be built. Then the architect or us, we engage the masons and they get it built and the house is done. So when it comes to practical things where we need a roof over our heads, we know what to do strategically, right? We're not going for the cheapest guy, the low-budget room. We, we know what it mean, means to get an architect with a plan, the blueprint in place. David, King David, for example, he, he wanted to build a temple. God didn't let him build a temple, but that didn't stop him from building the blueprint for the temple. Um, Solomon eventually ended up building it, but we understand the importance of a blueprint, Um we understand the importance of strategy, getting getting the minute level right. Before we see the big vision of the temple, we want to see the practical document in front of us. And so that's all I'm trying to push for. Like, make, let's get the strategy right. Um, and another example, I mean, we, we do this session called Cornerstone. It's literally the foundational marketing strategy exercise we offer. And we tell them the, we, we, can, we can drive on the roads, 
but it takes a few minutes to just make sure we put Google Maps on our phones and then make sure we don't get lost. If you don't do that little bit of effort up front, there's a good chance that we can get detoured, we can get lost, lose a lot of time, lose a direction, and get sidelined. And so I wonder if if we can just take a little more effort to be strategic up front, figure out what we need. what Because the needs of a small ministry, as you talked about, are very different from the needs of a big ministry. Yeah. You can easily get distracted by what they're saying. I, um, if you're talking about the practice labs from, are you talking about the one with Dave Blankert and that, those guys? Um, I can't, well, I'm, I can't remember. Sure, sure. I, I think that's the one. I, I completely agree. The need to understand how, even as God, right, he began on day one with two people, one first and then a second one. I saw that it was all good, and then he scaled. He didn't ask for 100 people. on. He didn't ask for the entire tribe of Levi on day one. So if we can get the unit-level economics right, I feel that the rest is only a matter of time. Mm. So what are some ways that ministries can maybe engage with their audiences in a more meaningful way in a digital space? It might be boring to hear me say the same things again, but I'll, if I can summarize them for you, um, I, I think the first step that we should think about is if we know our people really well, if we know our sheep's voice really well, if we're trying to be the guys leading people to Christ, we need to be as Christ-like in how he was dealing with them. So making sure that we know them, we know their voice, we know their needs, and we know what value they're looking for. Those are I mean, Peter Drucker has these five questions. The first two, I feel, are significantly applicable almost in every aspect of life. Who is the customer and what does that customer value? The second one I would say is to make sure that we we intentionally strategize to figure out how we're going to solve this particular problem, which is where I feel um, a big ministry and a small ministry, while one has lesser resources, we can still be strategic about what's the best course of action for us. We talked about online versus digital uh, a good example is social media. We, many, many, not just ministries, even secular brands, many of us are on social media from a brand perspective, but we are not really social there. We're just continuing to use it as a microphone to tell more people about what we wanted to tell them in the first place. It's just the same old strategy in a new wineskin. It's not even new wine. Um, but I feel more. most of us need to figure out what should be the, in fact, I was telling one of the ministries that we work with, um, I blog daily and they wanted to think about a blog. And I told them after doing some sessions with them, I told them, I think you guys should not be doing blogging for very specific reasons. Pick the, pick the lanes you want to run in. We talked about webinar, blogs, and a podcast. We eventually set on a webinar because they were very visual people. What they were offering is very visual. They didn't have the capacity to write a frequent blog. They didn't want to get on a podcast yet. And so we found the one strategy that is going to likely work best for them. Like you said, instead of looking at big companies and figuring out what's everybody else doing, what are the big guys doing? What's everybody else doing? And I feel Jesus is spot on every time. Strive to enter this narrow road, the one that's the best fit for you, the one that takes you to your destination, regardless of what other people are doing. So I would say, one, know people, know your people, know their voice, know their needs, know what they value. Second one, we strategize to figure out how we're going to solve this particular problem. And just blogs and webinars and events are not necessarily the ticket and answer for everything. The third one I would suggest is to commit to the process. With digital marketing, people talk about hockey stick growth. And I, when I just this, just yesterday, we sent a proposal to a ministry and I said, we need a long runway. Uh, we need time. We need budget. We need your backing. We need youth from leadership, not just leadership. We need the board to be on, on, on board. We need leadership to commit to the duration. We even need them to lead by example so that the actual ministry workers, they will feel the need to change the way they're marketing. Um, because at the end of the day, we have to measure, we have to learn, we have to pivot. And for ministries that haven't been engaging with marketing a lot, 
this is going to be a journey. It's going to be a learning process. So I hope we have our expectations aligned. This is not going to be a magic switch that we just turn on and unicorns come flying. Um, it's going to take <laughs> some time. Um, but we're committing to the process because think of the alternative. Think of what we've been doing all along, where we've been spending our money, and what the outcome is. Measured, like, for example, Chris Walker talks about the fact that many brands send their people to conferences um, and do booths at shows. Nobody calculates the cost for that. But then you ask them to put 100, bu- 100 bucks down for a podcast, they're like, oh, man, that's a lot of money. No, we spend thousands of dollars at conferences. But are we really evaluating every channel, every marketing potential opportunity by return on investment, return on mission, uh, return even on burnout? And then are we taking the right call? And so I'd say if we could just figure out our people, strategize what's the best solution for us, and come into the process, in, in a few months, you should start seeing a big improvement. Hmm. Now, <clears throat> how important do you feel storytelling is and how can in all of this and how can ministries use storytelling to engage with their audiences in a more meaningful and impactful way. So this is the part, in my opinion, that stuns me the most, because I feel that Jesus Christ is the savior, our founder of our movement, him being the best storyteller of all time. That's one of the reasons why we even named ourselves 40 Powers. We're like, if only we can just do the things that he told us, and at least the ones he told us in story format, just do that much. Don't, don't do anything else. Just get that right. And so we know we've been reared on these stories, raised upon them. We know the st- stories inside out. Like when I t- when people hear 40 parables, one of the first questions they ask me is, wait a minute, is that from the Bible? I'm like, yes. And they, are there actually 40 parables? And I say, yes, there are. Um, and I tell them I myself didn't count them till I put the brand name. So I completely understand if you didn't, because it's not written anywhere that it's 40, you have to count. And there are repetitions. And I feel that we knew the power of stories as children. We still know it when our ears hearken to something that's an interesting story. We know what Jesus talked about in the Bible, but we are far from following him when it comes to captivating people's interest with stories. We know the secret weapon, and we're somehow a little blunt about it. Um, And most ministry leaders, they're either pastors or involved in teaching capacity at church. So I feel they understand what story can do. They understand the power of it. More importantly, I think they should be concerned about how can we do this better? How can we follow up consistently and see this through? Um, how can we understand, like I said, the audience, their voice? I think we should figure out how do we actually implement storytelling than telling them again that storytelling is powerful. I think for the last decade, the ministry world acknowledges and agrees that storytelling is very powerful. The only question is, are we actually doing doing justice to it? An ebook download, in my opinion, is not really marketing or storytelling. Um, I mean, we can have a podcast, but... It shouldn't be one that just checks the box because then we're likely deceiving ourselves and saying, hey, we spend so much time on a podcast. Um, why is there no return on investment or mission? So I'd say we pick the few things that are really most appropriate for us strategies. What makes us different from other ministries who might be saying the same thing? Um, and then figure out even in our audience or do a simple audit, like what percentage of our efforts is actually marketing? What person is just pure storytelling? What person is sales? And if you're really honest, the audit, often will throw up a sad stat that our marketing and storytelling components are far lesser compared to our sales activities, which is why I feel we need more board and budget and leadership approval to change the game up a bit and make sure we're figuring out this next stick. It should be about how are we going to implement storytelling more than how important is storytelling? Because I think we all agree that it's important. Um, I just think that the team needs to be incentivized as a whole, as a, as a company, as a brand, be motivated to implement this change and be the change we're talking about. We've been talking about storytelling for a decade. Now it's time for us to be that change. Um, and I, I think 
this is the this is a decade. The pandemic, in my opinion, is destructive. But I hope we can take the silver lining out of it and change the way we're engaging from a ministry perspective. Mm. I love it what you said that we know the secret weapon and yet we don't use it. There's, we know the power of storytelling. We know its significance in our own lives. We know we're all addicted to storytelling, right? We all have Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus and every single streaming service that exists. Um, we love stories, right? That it's wired, hardwired into us from our creator, I believe. And so, oh, totally. Um, th- you know, this is something that we're super interested in and trying to help the ministry space, you know. And, hey, and it can, can never realize, go away. Right. Sorry, well, yeah, I think that there's there's a recognition across the ministry sector that, yes, storytelling is, is powerful, but we haven't been trained and equipped Correct. Um, within the church and the ministry sector to go and share and testify of what he's done. And so, um, yeah, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. That's what we're interested in and what we're moving and pushing towards is trying to say, hey, is, is there a state of pov- story poverty within the church is there is there a problem? Do, do we recognize the problem? Can we find ministries that recognize that we're that there is a problem? And can we find some ministries that are willing to do something about it? To say, hey, we've heard and talked about the power of storing for the last fifteen years till we're blue in the face. Now let's <laughs> actually go and do something about it. And so that's kind of the direction we're headed um, as as a ministry ourselves. But I. I, That's great. Yeah, I believe we got to do something about it because there's there's missed opportunity. Yeah. In fact, I have a four-year-old and I, I he insists that I tell him two stories every day, not one. <laughs> so in the last, like every year, I tell him about 700 new stories, um, which I <laughs> make up on the fly a minute ago to the point where now I tell him, you tell me the title of the story. And then he goes on this big one-minute rant about what the entire premise should be. And I said, just the title will do and then, so we, when we, I, at some point I wonder, I, I've told you 700 stories, like two a day in the last year. And even the new year, he wants another two every day. So this is, this is a thirst that cannot be quenched. Yeah. It's like saying, we, we know how valuable food is to our body. It's the same impact that stories have for our soul. And we know the secret weapon and we know the founder of a movement who, who showed us how to do it, who modeled it for us. And all we got to do is do exactly what he did. Yeah. That's so good. Well, Korean, this has been um, really valuable and beneficial, I think. Thank you so much for being on the show. Can I pray for you and your company? Absolutely. Father, I just lift up Korean and his team. I pray that you would guide and lead them as they help um, ministries have increased impact, Father. I pray that you would guide and lead and direct them as they guide and lead and direct other organizations, um, that uh, you would just give clarity, that you would give um, clear direction, Father. We thank you so much for Korean's desire to step into your invitation and be faithful with the gifts, skills, talents, abilities that he has been given by you. Um, I just pray for the growth and um, increase in impact in his company and uh, ask that you would um, bless his organization, his company, and his team. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Korean and thank gift. you also for what you are doing. I mean, I oh, wish yeah. we had more of these. Yeah. Well, we're 
trying to just get ministries to recognize, hey, there's some really cool opportunities out here and uh, see if we can't provide some value and insight into what or the organizations and storytellers and marketers like yourself are doing to spark some ideas for these ministry leaders. So, um, Green, if people want to get a hold of you or want to learn more, ask you any questions, how can they do so? Well, uh, our site's website is 40parables.com, 40P-A-R-A-B-L-E-S.com. If you're looking at this podcast, you've seen my very weird name. I'm the only one in the whole wide world with this particular name, and I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> so if you just type, even if you type Korean, hopefully it, I come up. But my last name is even more weirder. So just finding me on LinkedIn, I'm always there every single day. Like I said, I'm listening to Chris Walker on LinkedIn. So I'm always there every day. Very easy to find me on our website. We've got an option to contact. We've got a bot link there. So we'd love to hear from ministries who want to impact real change. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks again. And God bless. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.